What up, spooky babes? Welcome back to another episode of the Spooky Rip Jean Mom. My name is Peyton, and we are doing part two of Maine. It's James Rodney Hicks, and we left off last time at him being sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder of his wife, Jenny. Um, before we get into it, just to update you guys, I am at my last doctor's appointment. Um, they didn't check me or anything for dilation because I asked them not to because there's just no point. Nothing's really happening besides him moving around. But next week, he could possibly be here. They're going to try to strip my membranes. And um, if that happens, then he will be here by next weekend. Anyway, on top of that... I don't know if you guys have heard, but in, like, the other side of Reno, so where Lake Tahoe is and things like that, in, like, Sierra, California, they got 12 feet of snow. So anything you've ordered that is coming from California got delayed. So I ordered a knockoff version of the Nugget for Paisley, and it came from someone in California. And it's supposed to arrive today. It was supposed to get here Monday. It's Friday. And then on top of that, so I had posted on our like wives page for the base. I had asked if anyone in housing or anyone in Fallon was getting rid of their nugget. And like, because $250 for a nugget. This one lady commented and said she would for the right price. And I was like, oh, okay, so like probably like 180, 200. Because these are these nuggets go for 250. Okay. So then she shows me this picture. Because I was like, oh, do you have a picture of it? And she's like, oh, well, I'm not home, but I'll send you a stock photo. So she posted the stock photo. Guys, it was like this like rustic red stone kind of color. And I was like, oh yeah, I like that. How much? It took her two days to respond. She asked for $300 because it's a color they don't make anymore. And then on another post that she did of her selling something, she had the nugget in the background and it's a gray color. And they have a gray color online. I would just pay $250 for the gray color they have online versus the $300 I'd have to pay for this un the, for this color that isn't used anymore. The name's not used. The color is still used. So I'm getting, you know, that's supposed to come today. So I'm waiting for that because I really want her to have this couch before Colby comes and before we are supposed to get any more snow. So then that way, if she needs to like let out a ton of energy and we can't go outside, she's cool. Um, and other than that, there's not much going on. Bailey ended up not going to his AO meeting. I don't think any of you really care about that. But he ended up not going because he had really bad heartburn from Subway. So, yeah. Now, we are going to get into it. So, I in my notes, I divide it into sections. So, like, each section is a topic. And this one I labeled a free man. What the fuck? <laughs> so, the defense appealed day of sentencing and... Not, you know, because not all the neighbors could say that they were fighting, like the fights were bad. Nobody could, nobody in the state couldn't prove that Jenny was dead. Um, and so the jury hasn't been able to hear, but the 
so they wouldn't allow Jenny's family to talk and they weren't allowed to hear how um Jenny loved her kids and how like she wouldn't have left her kids I don't know why that was something because it has to do with her character but it was something that they weren't allowed to bring up um, on December 19th, 1984, James was released on bail, and he wasn't allowed to talk to witnesses, he had a check-in for his parole, and he wasn't allowed to leave the state. But James and Linda wanted to get married, and legally, they could not get married until him and Jenny were divorced. But he said Jenny moved to Florida slash New Hampshire, and he hasn't talked to her. So... How's he supposed to marry Linda without saying Jenny's dead? On July 9th, 1985, you know, his conviction was upheld and he was sent to a main state prison. And this is when him and Linda tried to get married again. And the deputy attorney general told them that he had no issue allowing them to get married if they filled out a death certificate for Jenny. And, but eventually, it was granted because he was James was found guilty of killing Jenny. So because he was found guilty of killing Jill, Jenny, the state had to basically say that Jenny was dead and then he was allowed to marry Linda. But this made James so, so mad because he's like, well, now I look guilty. And so Linda thought people would look stupid when Jenny came back. Like, Linda was fully convinced that he was telling the truth this whole time, and he was not. Um, August of 1985, that's when they legally became married, and Linda did become the legal guardian of Baby V and Baby R. So while in prison, <laughs> James starts dating other women, and at this point, he is still married to Linda. He uh, started dating a girl named Karen Guam, and she is the sister, she's the sister of the lady who is married to his brother. He divorced Linda, which was weird, because Linda has custody of his kids, and he's in jail, and she's taking care of them. Uh, and then he marries Karen. I, I don't. Like, it just has to be his charm because I don't understand how he keeps getting married. I, I wouldn't want that. So July of 1990, seven years of sentencing, but only six years of consecutive jail time, James is released. Now remember, he was sentenced to 10 years, but got off on good behavior. And the people in the jail, like the guards and the people who run the jail, said that he was a model prisoner. And I liked the way that Ash and Elena put it. Yeah, he was a model prisoner because there were no women in the jail. And the women that he, the women he was married to, and then the woman that he was dating, and then the woman he married, they weren't there. Anyway, so then he gets a job at a motel in Brewer, Maine. And this is where it becomes a problem because he has an affair with Louise Robertson. He ends up getting her pregnant and wouldn't claim their child as his, but 
Louise was like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, DNA test. And so she had a court-ordered DNA test done, and then so he had to oblige to it. And it came back that James was the dad. They had a baby girl. And Louise said at one point in time, James told her, what happened between me and Ginny Sears is between me and God. Like, to me, that sounds like you're admitting it, but whatever. Uh, and, like, he tried, when Louise told police that, he tried to play it off with her that, like, the cops were just out to get him. And so, she didn't know that he was married to Karen at the time. And she didn't even know that he had other kids. They dated on and off for years. And then they called it quits because she found out that he was dating two other women. Now, these two other women worked at the motel that they all worked at together. So this is when he starts dating Lynn Willett. And Lynn's parents are Jane and Vincent Hinks. Um, She was born on August 29th, 1959, making her an August Virgo. I'm a September Virgo, so we're friends. Um, She was born in Bangor, Maine, and she was 39 when she started dating James. She actually served in the army. She had lots of tattoos. She loved to travel. She had lots of dogs. And at one point, she was a paramedic, and she was taking classes in 1995 to, like, further her paramedic career. Now, she had gotten a job at the motel to pay for her classes. And um, at the same time that this was happening, Karen and James finally divorced. And Karen, you know, was like, he's kind of aggressive. And she said that Karen had said at one point, he had told her, I wouldn't tell you if I killed Jenny, and I wouldn't tell you if I didn't. So while he's divorcing Karen, him and Louise break up, and he moves in with Lynn. And she, like her family said at this point, she's going through a depression, she was super insecure, and she ended up getting a dog named Felon. And uh, Felon was kind of a felon. He was a really good boy, but he would break out and he would like run all over town, but the police loved him. And they would like ride let him ride around with them sometimes, and they would just bring him home. And from what police had said to, you know, Detective Ricker and Detective Robinson was that like they didn't know, like there were times where James was home and his attitude they didn't understand why Linda was with him because she was always so nice to them and like talkative and all around like a great person and James just was not. Um, so Detective Ricker, you know, was working behind the scenes uh, just to get a solid case for Geraldine against James. And in the spring of 1996, the police bring James in for something completely unrelated. And so Lynn went with him. And at this point, police have realized that Lynn does not know about James's past. So a detective named Joe Zamboni tried to warn her on like on the low by asking her questions about Geraldine, like just to let her know he she had been missing and that James had last been seen with her. And then in the fall of 1996, they wanted the, to close Geraldine's case. They were like the like head police officers, I guess. I don't know. Uh, 
the higher ups, they wanted Detective Ricker to close the Geraldine case until new info would come up. Uh, even though the main state police believed James was the reason she was missing. Karen and Louise were always being interviewed at this point, and Detective Ricker became chief of police while her case was put on pause, but he never gave up, and he went hard in the paint to try to get anything. Uh, in the spring of 1996, Linda did finally come around to James being a killer, and in 1991, Linda told Ricker that she was ready to talk. Oh, sorry, got my dates wrong. 1991 is when Linda was like fully, yeah, he's a killer. So she told Detective Ricker that the night of Geraldine's disappearance, James had forced her to lie. He came home at 1 a.m., which he had lied about. Uh, or he had said that he wanted her to say he came home at 1 a.m., but he didn't come home until 4 a.m. She didn't know where he was, but she assumed that he had been out drinking or cheating. And she said she had lied because she was extremely scared of him. And that after that night, he completely stripped the car's carpet and then let him take the car. So they tried to, in 1994, get the car from him, but the forensics teams were like, listen, like, it's been years, we're, and if he stripped the carpet, like, there's nothing we can do. We're not going to find anything. Uh, and at this point, Geraldine and Jenny's family, they get together, and they unite, and they take this, like, full force. Uh, they got connected with Linda and Karen, and they all exchanged info, and then they got with Detective Ricker, and they all straightened out the facts and then decided on who needed to be talked to next. Lynn said she dumped him because he kept getting interviewed about killing women and said that, like, you know, he abused her dogs, he was aggressive with her, told her friends she just didn't like him anymore. And then the process, she was in the process of moving into her parents' home. May 26th of 1996, Detective Zamboni gets a call from James who conveniently says Lynn is missing. She said that he had a family function and she never showed up and now she couldn't be reached. So this was Jimmy's account. On May 25th, you know, they slept together. They went to the Big Apple store to eat. Then they went shopping and then Lynn went back to her parents. Her car was now missing and he focused a lot on her tattoos. Like he was very detailed about those in an account. Which, if, you know, he was a caring person, it would have been, like, so people could identify her. But he's not a caring person. He's just a freak. So, um, his alibi did not check out. They went and talked to the people at the Big Apple store, and they had no record of them coming in. There was no receipt, nothing. Um, and then the stores that James said he went in said they saw James, but not Lynn. So, police questioned him again. And James tried to claim that Lynn must be cheating on him and she ran away. And you'll never believe who he said she ran away with. A trucker. Yep, a trucker. So, May 31st, Lynn's car is conveniently found at a truck stop. And Zamboni and Ricker show up to James' house at 1am to tell him that they found the car. 
but they acted like they were his, like James's friend because we know that in part one, when they showed up out of nowhere, he started to kind of like uh, freak out, you know, and was like, that's when he like spilled the water, all that stuff. So she, um, so they were like, well, we'll act like his friend. And, um, at this point, Zamboni decides to help Ricker on Lynn's case and Geraldine's case because they know that they have to solve Geraldine's case so they can figure out Lynn's. Four months later, James had a new girlfriend and on September 1996, he moved in with an 18 year old. At this point, he's 45. He was Leonardo DiCaprio in it before Leonardo Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio was decaproning it. Her name was Brandy Mayo. And the cops were like, she's a teenager. Like, she's only 18. Yeah, legally you're an adult, but you're not. Um, and they went and talked to her parents immediately about James. Brandy works at the motel. And her family said she is insecure. They said they did not like James. Because they would hear him yelling at her. And she wasn't allowed to leave the house. They talked to uh, Brandy's friends to see if maybe Brandy could get, like, Brandy's friends could get to her. And her friends told Zamboni and Ricker that James was physically abusing her. And he had took her to all the locations and said, in quotes, this is where I took the missing women and you're next. We're going to fast forward just a tiny bit. James got Brandy pregnant. They had a girl. And... They, the baby was immediately taken away by the Department of Human Services because, like, where you have three other kids that you're not taking care of. And so then in 1998, they got married, and that was because Brandy hoped that if she married him, she would get her kids back. Well, the FBI had gotten the case file, and at this point in 1998, when they got it, they said that James was likely responsible for the disappearance of Geraldine and Lynn Willette. So in 1998, Brandy is pregnant again. And at this point they moved to Texas because they're trying to avoid having their second baby taken. This time she had a boy. And Texas officials got word from Maine that they were moving there. And they ended up um, taking, like James's adult children now, were also coming forward saying that James used to sexually abuse them. So, at this point, they take, when the boy's born, they take him away. And um, in Texas, he started working for a contractor. Well, the Texas and Maine investigators are teaming up now since they talked about the fact that they moved there. They're teaming up. They're going back and forth. They have surveillance on him. And at this point, James is classified as a serial killer without even having the bodies to prove it. So Brandy kept denying that James could be a killer. And she said, all I've ever wanted was for someone to give me proof. And then they had scheduled custody hearings. So in 2000 and 2001, Brandy was pregnant again. And her and James seemed to be like lying low. And then in April of 2000, um, a lady named June Moss hires Dave Hines to paint her house. And you might be like, who is who is this Dave Hines? Well, Dave is James's boss. He's the owner of the contracting company. 
And um, she's 67 years old at the time. He and a couple, James and a couple other people went out there. And while James was working, he offered to do inside painting of her house for her. Um, and then, so she was like, yeah, she hired him to do the inside painting without the contractor, like, you know, just on the side. And on April 8th, that's when James went to the store and got June's paint for her. And he walked up to June's house and weirdly, as he's about to paint this lady's house, he asks her if she cared if he drank. So June was a very polite lady because I would have been like, no. She did say she didn't want him drinking in her house, but she didn't care if he drank outside. And so then he turns around, he like rolls his eyes at her drinks though, turns around and then he starts getting in her van to like getting stuff out. So she just went back inside and sat down in her living room. And then, as she accounted, James came in and he was acting really weird and he was swearing at her and cussing her up and down. And he walked right up to her and put a gun in her face, telling her that it was a real gun and that he was done working for her. Which, I mean, in not even in her defense, but just like in general, like you hadn't even gotten started. You pulled up in a van. You picked up some paint for her. So... He made June give him her glasses, and anytime she tried to stand up, he'd push her down. He disconnected her phone. He locked the kitchen door and any other door in the house. And then he goes, I need two things from you. I need your time and money. And he talked to her about how the state was against him, and he was always, you know, she was always, he was always getting his kids taken away, and that he needed to leave Texas but it would take him four hours. And then he said, I've been married four times. I killed my wife and I can't see my son because of child protective services. And June said that he just went in like full blown shut down panic moment. And she had no idea what to do besides like begging him to leave. And then all of a sudden he just stopped. He stopped panicking and he looked at her and he told her to get up and go to her room. And this is all in quotes from what June said. I said no, and he shouted at me to get up and to go to the bedroom. And he pulled on my arm and began dragging me to the bedroom. He was pulling on my arm so hard I had a bruise. Then he got behind me, put his left hand on my shoulder, and pushed me forward. That's when he shot the gun. The bullet went right past my right ear and I jumped because I didn't expect it. I turned around and saw him pointing the gun to the ceiling. Go to your bedroom, he said loudly. So I started down the hall towards the bedroom, end quote. So he demanded keys in the title to her house and car, um, which she gave him. But then he gave her a notepad and made her write a suicide note to her kids. Now, she's so, so smart because she signed it June E. Moss. And you might be like, how does that make her smart? Because it was it was a suicide note to her kids. So, like, if I'm never committing suicide. But if that was something that I were to do, I wouldn't sign my letter to Paisley and Colby as Peyton Kennedy. I would have signed it as mom. And so, she signed it as her June E. Moss. And then June said, while she's writing the letter, she was just sobbing. He then stole $200 from her wallet and then had her write him a check for $1,250, which is super weird to me. And I 
didn't know about this, but apparently she had $1,500 in her bank account. So, like, the morbid girls had pointed out that that was weird that he didn't take the full $1,500. Like, if you planned on killing her, why'd you only take $1,250? So, then he handed her a Coke bottle, and he forced her to drink it. And she was like... And then she started vomiting as he's forcing her to drink half of the bottle. And she asked if it was just Coke, and he said no, that he had put cherry cough medicine in it. And so she's drinking it, she's throwing up, and while she's throwing up, he leaves and he goes to a bath, like to the bathroom, to start the bathtub. And at this point, it was so he could drown her, but he kept going back and forth. And then she heard wind chimes and she realized that he was going through her closet and she was like oh my gosh he's he's this far away i can get out so she ran she unlocked door she ran out she went to a neighbor's house to get help and then when june got help and james walked in after hearing the door um he just hopped in his van and left but two neighbors followed him and one of the neighbors called the, that was following him called the police and requested an ambulance for June. And then they saw him throwing just random shit in the dumpster and told and they told police about that. Well, when the police went to look in the dumpster, it was the title to the car, but he had ripped it up. It was there was a pic of June's daughter that he had taken and thrown out. And then he threw away a BB gun. So, police went to June's house, and all the doors were still locked. They saw the bath with water, and they saw the gunshot in the ceiling. Um, June spent the night in the hospital, obviously, and doctors said she was in and out of consciousness, but she lived, and that is a great thing. At this point, police are like, all right, let's go pick James up immediately. So, they went to his house, and he was just sitting in his van in his driveway. They arrested him on the spot, no questions asked. And so he got aggravated assault against an, elder, uh, against an elderly person and then robbery. Now he's already a convicted felon and he had a gun. So in Texas, he's facing life. And that's anywhere between 15 and 99 years. And so now he's trying, James is like trying everything to get out of possibly the death sentence because it's Texas. So he's trying to get news outlets in Maine to pay him to tell them what he knows about Geraldine, Lynn, and Ginny. And all of the press and the media that he went to said no. And then they called the police immediately. They, con they got in contact with Zamboni and they told him like, hey, James is hitting us up because homeboy wants money and we're not gonna pay him for that. So, yeah. So then Zamboni was like, okay, let me, let me reach out to James's brother, Steve, and see if I can get him to talk to James. And Steve told Zamboni that he talked to, but only if he could serve his time in jail. Like Zam Steve talked to Zamboni and was like, hey, talk to James, and he said he'll talk but only if he can serve his time in jail in Maine. And so finally, James starts talking to Zamboni and he's trying to get, you know, back to Maine. And he says, Detective Ricker stalked him and that's why he hadn't talked. 
So he had no warrants in Maine. So Detective Zamboni was like, I don't know what you're going to tell me and what you're trying to confess to. And since you don't have warrants here, you can't just come back. And Zamboni said James's response was, you know exactly what I'm going to tell you. So on April 13th, Brandy filed for divorce. She's pregnant with their third baby. She got her son back. Her daughter had been adopted out. And she had gotten a protective order against him. Um, he agreed, James agreed, to tell them where the bodies are if he got to come back to Maine to serve his time. And in eight, September 28th, um, Zamboni flew to Texas and interviewed James. James confessed, you know, in Maine, about Lynn, knows where she is, but won't give any physical evidence at that time. And Zamboni said, I'm going to take that as you're responsible for what happened for the death of Lynn. And James said, do I have to use the word death? Zamboni said, yes. James said, then yes. And then Zamboni said, you're not doing this out of the kindness of your heart, are you? James, right, I'm doing this to serve my time in Maine and not in Texas at all. When I get to Maine, I'll tell you everything. So James said he'd confessed to killing Lynn, uh, taking her car to the truck stop, and he would even show them where the remains were to go to Maine. So Detective Zamboni said, we need you to give us all the info on the four bodies. And you might be like, Peyton, you've only talked about three. Because Zamboni knew what he was doing, and James' response was, wait, no, there's only three. And Zamboni said, Jenny and Geraldine, dot, 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 so let's talk. So James tried to come, like, tried to backtrack, and he, at this point, just started acting confused and was like, what? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so then, you know, Zamboni said, if you come to Maine, will you cooperate on all three murders? And James said, yes. And then he said, that Lynn had suffocated. So they got, they were able with the information he gave to get an arrest warrant out of Maine. At this point, Lynn had been missing for four years. Geraldine was missing for 18 years and Jenny had been missing and considered dead for 23 years. On October 10th, James was finally arrested for murder and to serve his time in Maine if he cooperated. So then he takes them to where he buried Lynn and they find a five-gallon bucket filled with cement covering her hands and head. He told them that her body parts were scattered, and he told them where to find her body parts, but he couldn't remember, in quotes, how he strangled her. He did say she had suffocated in her their apartment closet, and then he dismembered her in the maintenance closet of the motel. So, with Geraldine, he said he bought her drinks, he offered her a ride, but she said she was going to walk. He left, and then he realized he needed gas, turned around, and she was at the gas station, and then agreed to get a ride. Which doesn't make sense because her stepdad had been waiting for her to call so he could get come pick her up. Um, he drove her to a lake, and they were talking, and then he, all of a sudden... You know, he blacked out, and when he came to, she had been strangled, and she was dead. And he didn't remember doing it, but he strangled her with cloth because it, was, because it wasn't with rope or, like, his hands. But then he backtracked and said it was with his hands. So then he backtracked again 
And he said that he put her in the trunk and drove her home and then left, went to work with her in the trunk. Never says why. And then, you know, he took her to the woods for a week and then dismembered her and put her under an abandoned pig shed on his property. Sorry, had to take a break because Bailey came home from work early and he, um, and I, so I paused it because he was coming through, you know, the garage, but then also he, um, I thought I'd have, you know, lunch with him real fast. Anyway, um, so, I'm trying to think of where I was. Okay, so now his account for Jenny was that she was standing on one side of the bed with his, with her back to him. They were talking, and then in quotes, he said, next thing I knew, she had been strangled with a belt. So he doesn't take accountability for anything. Like, it's, he always somehow just manages to not remember that he did it like he like all of a sudden he looks over and she's strangled blah 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 like like I like but I blacked out like it's always I blacked out why is it I was blacked out why can't you just why can't you just take responsibility for what you did so he wrapped her body up and took her to work with him he stopped on his way home and he was trying to think of like what he needs to do now And he left her in his trunk when he went to her mom and dad's house and they all went out looking for her. She was in his trunk. So he cut her up at the gravel pit, which is like where he works at. Um, Several of his exes did say that like he liked to have sex there, which is weird to me. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then he put her body in cement He put her hands and her head in a chest cooler that he only buried recently. Now, his, like, children, baby V and baby, um, I guess all of his children that he ever lived with said that they would sit on that cooler. Like, it was a cooler that was always around. So, like, they'd have dinner, and if they were in the living room, like, that'd be a place one of the kids would sit. But no one looked in the cooler because it's just a cooler. How disgusting is that? Like, could you imagine if one day the kids were like, oh, I'm going to put ice in this cooler. Like, we're going to use it. And they open it up and they see their mom's head in there. One, heebie-jeebies. Two, absolutely horrifying. So, then he said he scattered all her other body parts. But he had no answer as to why he kept her head. And so then he police searched for her remains for two days on his old property. And um, when it, they were, like, looking for Lind, and they found all of her cut off. He had cut off all of Lind's tattoos, and they found them there. So then he came in for an official confession, and he came in laughing. He said he did it for no reason. And Lynn was there when Zamboni originally interviewed James at the motel. So when they went to the motel and they were like, yo, what's going on? And they were in the maintenance closet. She was apparently in a barrel in that room. Like she was, she was right there. On November 17th of 2000, 
10 officers surrounded James while he pled guilty to Geraldine and Lynn's murder, where he got two life sentences. Jenny's family was able to give the press the victim impact statements, but they could not read their victim impact statements in court since Jenny had, Jenny had already, like, Jenny's court had already happened. Um, Tammy, which was the daughter of Geraldine, gave her victim impact statement, and she actually had Jenny's sister, Denise, stand next to her while she gave it. Um, so that way James would still have to look at her. And Geraldine's family also gave victim impact statements. Now, he had to pay restitution for Geraldine and Lynn's funeral, as he should. And January 5th of 2001, he had to go back to Texas to be sentenced for what he did to June Moss, which he got 55 years in Texas. But because he got, you know, two life sentences in Maine, he won't have to serve that 55 years in Texas. And according to my research, he is still alive today in the Maine State Prison. And I'm glad we broke that up into two parts. One, because it was a lot. But two, we would have been at like almost an hour and 30 minutes. And all the feedback that I get from you guys is that you like that I can keep it relatively around an hour long. And I have ADHD. And I think when I listen to podcasts that are really, really long, I can't keep up. So I feel like, you know, short to the point is great. Um, Next week, we are talking about... Uh, Maryland and that one is crazy and then we're having a little St. Patty's Day one where we're going to talk about leprechauns and that's about it if you guys have any suggestions on anything else that you want to hear that doesn't have to do with like the 50 states just like ideas let me know I have a couple I think I have a list going of things that I want to talk about as like palate cleansers or just kind of like in between um the states so it's not all just like the same thing right after the other but if there's anything let me know all right well i love you spooky babes have a great day bye